0: Hi, everybody. My name is Carl Darden, and I'd like to welcome and thank all of you for joining us here today on Navy Sports Central. I am your host, and this is the official podcast of the Navy Sports Nation, where we take a deeper dive into Navy sports. In this episode, we'll pick back up again with our preview of the 2021 Navy football team by taking a look at the defensive line, and we'll also bring up the speed on any off-season developments across all the Navy sports. So don't go anywhere. We have lots of good stuff to talk about. Okay, we are back, and uh, thanks for joining us, everybody. This is Navy Sports Central's eighth episode, which I guess is a milestone of sorts. I was um, doing a little research the other day and found out that most new podcasts just kind of fade away after the seventh episode with no new ones that come out. Now, I did some digging into this and found out that they usually have something to do with unrealistic expectations, which I don't think I have or just not having enough time and that hasn't been an issue for me either Um, at least not so far anyway i do this mostly for fun and i've been at it for i guess a few months now our first episode dropped in late march and i do learn something new with just about every episode so i hope you guys are enjoying hearing the content just as much as i enjoy coming up with it one of the things i like the most is having guests on the podcast because it's always fun to get their perspective on whatever topic we're discussing And uh, it gives me a chance to learn a few things, too. So uh, I believe we've had guests on three of these first seven podcasts, and I'm looking to kind of bump that up a little bit, maybe get on a couple more in the summer before the uh, fall sports season starts up. So again, this is our eighth of what I hope to be many more episodes. And as always, I appreciate your support and ask that you continue to spread the word about the podcast to all the Navy fans out there. So uh, thanks very much for that. Now, this being the summer, there isn't much in the way of a sports update, but there is one team that stays pretty busy, and that's the uh, Navy Offshore Sailing Team. Uh, They recently sent five boats to the annual Annapolis to Newport race, and that's like 500 miles in case you're wondering. And they ended up winning the Surflant Trophy for the best performance by a service academy. And by the way, those other two were the Coast Guard and Merchant Marine Academies. And this week, the team will be competing in the New York Yacht Club annual regatta, so you guys will probably get an update on that next week on the uh, Navy Sports Nation group Facebook page. All right, now let's get into our conversation on the Navy defense. Now, if you're like me, you got the sense that even though the Navy defense got off to a rocky start last season, they were clearly the one bright spot in what was otherwise a pretty disappointing year. The uh, pandemic protocols really prevented Coach Newberry and his staff from getting the team ready the way they normally would. I mean, there's like zero contact the entire fall. So that really makes a big difference. And it showed early on, If you look at the first six quarters, so that would be the entire BYU game and the first half of the Tulane game, the Navy defense allowed 79 points, and it took them into game six in 2019 to hit that total. So yeah, things were pretty rough to say the least. Now to their credit, the defense definitely pulled things together in the second half of the Tulane game, and then they played well enough as a unit to come away with wins against uh, Temple and East Carolina. Then you had Houston and SMU scoring a combined 88 points on the defense before the pandemic stopped play for about four weeks. Now, here's the thing. When the defense took the field for the final three games, they looked just like that unit that played so well in 2019. I mean, they're only allowing 15 points per game across that three-game stretch. During the break, the defense got back to basics and came out playing that same aggressive style that we saw before, and unfortunately, the tough part was the offense never really found its rhythm, so the team couldn't take advantage of that great defensive effort. So the end result was a 3-7 and record. But based on how things finished up, I feel like the defense isn't going to have all that much trouble getting back to their 2019 form. For one thing, Coach Newberry and his staff got a chance to see a lot of new faces on the field last fall, and that was primarily due to having to deal with injuries and also players being out due to uh, COVID protocols and things like that. But, uh... The second reason is because the defense got a chance to get in a full spring practice session. And this allowed the coaching staff to teach the defense at full speed with full contact. I mean, there's simply no substitute for those two elements when it comes to preparing a team to play. And after listening to some of the post-spring practice interviews with the defensive coaches, they really liked what they saw. So today we're going to focus on the defensive line because for Coach Newberry's system to be the most effective everything's got to be clicking up front. It all comes down to controlling the point of attack and getting the offense back on their heels. And uh, we'll pretty much do the same thing we did when we uh, reviewed the offense last month. Uh, We'll take a look at the first couple of players on the depth chart. And what you're going to hear in the way of player assessments are things that Coach Newberry shared on the uh, interview that he had with the uh, local media just right after spring practice was over. And then I'll go ahead and throw in my two cents based on what I've seen from uh, the player, whether it's on film from a game last year, or if they're a younger player, probably from their senior year in high school. So we're going to go ahead and start with the uh, defensive end position. The uh, top player in the depth chart is Jacob Busick. He is a 6'4", 250-pound sophomore from Westminster, Maryland. And One thing Coach Newberry said is that every spring, there's usually four or five players that kind of surprise him, and he named Busick as one of those guys. Busick has decent size, and he's very athletic. Um, I saw some high school film on him, and he was absolutely running over opposing offensive linemen. Now, I don't know how much of that he's going to be doing at the college level, but still, it was something to watch. And, And this one play, I mean, he completely just flattened this guy. And when I saw it, I immediately thought of that movie, The Naked Gun, I don't know how many guys saw that, but uh, towards the end of this movie, this bad guy played by Ricardo Montalban, who's the Fantasy Island guy, he takes a header off the top of the L.A. Coliseum and lands on the street. And, uh, and right after that, he gets flattened by a steamroller, followed by the USC marching band trampling over the top of him. So that's what this guy looked like when Busick rolled over him. I mean, he looked like he had to be picked up with a spatula. It, it, was, pretty, it was pretty impressive. Now, uh, the, the thing to remember here is that Busick didn't play a single snap last season, and he ended up winding up first on the depth chart, so he's definitely doing something right. As I was watching the film on him from high school, and no, no doubt he's gotten better at all of these things, but I picked up three things that really stood out to me, and we'll start with the first one. Um, he gets upfield really well. He's deceptively quick, and if you can't roll right over the guy, he uses his footwork and good technique to get around him. Uh, The second thing I noticed is he fights off blocks really well, and he can come back and make a play. So this is really, really important for a defense when it comes to controlling the point of attack. There are a number of times when I saw Busick blocked at the line, but he kept his eyes on the play, shut the block, and made the tackle for either a loss, or he at least kept the yards being gained to a minimum. And the third thing is he's a sure tackler who can really get into the legs of a ball carrier and bring him down. Uh, Early last season, the Mids have some difficulty getting guys on the ground. Now, that did change as the season went on, and they did a much better job. So I'm guessing that Busick wouldn't have been listed at number one on the depth chart if the coaches weren't 100% confident about his tackling ability. So uh, they are very excited about him, and they also like the guy backing him up. And his name is Max Mewson. He is also a sophomore, and he goes at 6'1", 251 pounds, and comes from Green Bay, Wisconsin. Now, he did get on the field for one game last year in the Mids' comeback win over Tulane. Now, the one thing I saw from Musin's high school game film that stood out to me was that when the action is going away from him, he is really good at getting across the field to make a play. And this is another key element when it comes to controlling the line of scrimmage in Coach Newberry's defensive scheme. Uh, Just because things may be happening away from you, it doesn't mean you can't be a factor. And on one of the plays that I saw from Muson's senior year, he came from all the way across the field from his defensive end position and tackled the ball carrier from behind. And I believe he threw him for a loss on that play because uh, he didn't quite get to the line of scrimmage. It was basically just an, an end run, you know, a sweep type play. And then on another play, he was tracking down the quarterback who was rolling out the throw and disrupted his rhythm just enough to force an interception. So Based on what I've heard from Coach Newberry, it sounds like he's pretty comfortable with what he's got at the defensive end position with both Jacob Busick and Max Musen, and expect both of those guys to be on the field quite a bit this season. Okay, we're going to take a short break, and when we return, we're going to go ahead and pick back up with the uh, defensive tackle position. Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Thanks for staying with us. And we're going to go ahead and continue with our preview of the uh, Navy defensive line. Let's go ahead and bounce over to the other side of the line and talk about the defensive tackles. What you're going to find as we go through the defense is a nice blend of both young and experienced players occupying the top couple of spots on the depth chart. And it's what Coach Newberry likes to call quality depth. So, well, we got a couple of sophomores holding down the one and two spots at defensive end. The defensive tackle position has two seniors that'll be uh, taking care of things. Uh, the first is Jarius Warren. He came out number one, and DeAndre Williams is right behind him. Uh, Warren first showed up on my radar screen when he was a sophomore. He started 10 out of the 13 games in 2019 and had 44 total tackles, including three and a half for a loss. He also had a couple of facts to go along with that. And the one thing I remember specifically is that against Army, he had a career-high 11 tackles, and he also forced a fumble and a recovery, which, if you guys remember, led to Malcolm Perry's last touchdown, and it gave him a chance to get over 300 yards for the uh, for the game. Uh, last season, Warren continued to play really, really well. He finished with 33 total tackles, and again, 14 of those came against Army. So he tends to do really, really well when he's going up against the Black Knights, um, He also had three tackles for a loss last year, one sack, and a forced fumble. So Jarius Warren brings a lot of experience to the position. He's played a ton of snaps, and his playmaking ability was one of the reasons for the big turnaround in the defense over the last three games of last year. Now, when Warren comes out for a breather, you'll be seeing DeAndre Williams in at defensive tackle. He goes uh, six feet, 274 pounds, and he also got a lot of time on the field last year and playing in nine of the 10 games. In fact, he was one of the reasons the defense pitched a shutout against Tulane in the second half, allowing the Miz to make that big comeback win. Williams also saw a lot of playing time in 2019, so between him and Warren, the defensive tackle position looks pretty solid. Um, Like the defensive ends, both of these guys will see a lot of playing time just because of the nature of the position. You're going to have to be rolling people in and out of there just to keep them fresh. So it's nice to have that kind of experience on the right side of the line. All right, uh, we've got the nose guard left now, so. Last year, the Mids did have some challenges at this position, but things got quite a bit better when uh, Donald Berniard Jr., who is a freshman, moved into the starting role with about six games left in the season. He finished the year with nine tackles, including one for a loss in those games. And that may not seem like a high number, but remember that a nose guard's role is completely different from some of the other positions. He's there to completely disrupt the other team's interior running game. So if he's able to shed his block, get in a gap, and make the ball carrier go in a different direction, that can allow the pursuit to catch up and stop the offense from gaining some pretty big yards, or even making a tackle for a loss. The Mids have a history of producing some pretty terrific nose guards in recent years. Uh, just going back to 2016, we had Bernie Sarah, and he was probably one of the finest that ever played that position. And just a couple of years ago, the Mids had Jackson Pittman, who was such a dominant force in that 31-7 win over Army. So this fall, Berniard, who is also known as Biscuit, came out of spring practices listed at number one. And uh, by the way, there is a story behind his nickname, but Coach Newberry couldn't recall it when uh, he was asked at the uh, press conference. Uh, it'll probably come out later, but Coach did make a point of saying that Berniard prefers to be called Biscuit, so, uh, so we're all good there. This is another guy that Coach Newberry is very excited about. I mean, Bernard put on 15 pounds before spring practice has started, and he hasn't missed a step. So that would put him a little over 280. And he's got an even better understanding of the defense now, and he knows what his responsibilities are. So that combined with his uh, excellent athleticism earned him that top spot. The guy who'll be backing up Burnyard at Noseguard is a six foot, 300 pound junior from Fort Collins, Colorado, and his name is Alifacio Um He saw a good amount of playing time last year, getting into seven games and starting one of them. And the interesting thing about Sapea is he does have football in his blood. His dad, Blaine, uh, played in the NFL for about four years in the early 2000s. Sapea's uh, weight puts him fairly close to where Jackson Pittman played a couple years ago, and it's just a matter of him just continuing to sharpen up his technique and everything. But the coaches really liked the spring that he had. So again, I think that Coach Newberry and his staff are pretty comfortable with their uh, defensive front. And that's going to be so critical because everything starts there. And then the rest of the defense is driven by the linebackers in a secondary. And we'll take a look at those guys in the coming weeks. So that gives us a pretty good look at the Navy defensive line going into the fall. Um There may still be some changes on the depth chart between now and when the Mids take the field against Marshall. But if it's just a question of the number one and two guys swapping positions, they're both going to see a good number of snaps during the year. So that doesn't really make too much of a difference. Now, uh, my biggest takeaway from watching coach Newberry answer the media's questions is a kind of vibe that says he's really fired up about the guys he's got on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, The six players on the defensive line are just part of the story And what I'm talking about will become a little bit more clear when we discuss the linebackers and the secondary in the next few episodes, as I'd mentioned before. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll get to our question of the day from a couple episodes ago when we were talking about the Navy fullbacks, slotbacks, and the wide receivers. Stay with us. Okay, welcome back to Navy Sports Central. Carl Darden here with you. And now we are going to circle back and look at our question of the day from a couple episodes ago when we previewed the um, the fullback, slotbacks, and wide receivers. And if you recall, the question was, in which group do you expect to see the biggest improvement in terms of uh, production? So uh, let's take a look at how many yards each group gained collectively first, and then we'll kind of figure this out. Uh, The fullbacks were by far the most productive of the three. They put up uh, 1,003 rushing yards in 2020 and also 103 receiving yards. So altogether, that was 1,106 yards. The uh, slotbacks came in with 324 rushing yards and 295 receiving for a total of 619. And the wide receivers caught 569 yards worth of passes while running for 14, which gave them um, 583 yards. So based on the numbers, I'm guessing that it's going to come down to either the slot backs or the wide receivers. Now, that's not a slide on the fullbacks. I mean, they did put up over 1,100 yards in 2020, and they also came up with 1,435 yards in 2019. And by the way, all but 105 of those were on the ground. I think the fullbacks will improve on their 2020 numbers, and they may even go past the 1,435 they picked up a couple seasons ago. But... Whether you look at this as an improvement of around 300 yards or an increase between 25 and 30%, um, I actually think there's a little bit more upside potential for both these slot backs and wide receivers. And you'll see what I'm talking about in a second here. So in 2019, the slot backs produced uh, 1,480 yard rushing and receiving yards. And that was more than twice as many as they put up last season. Um, I'm not saying that they're going to reach that number again but I definitely think they'll crack 1,000 total yards, which would mean an increase of about 381. I just believe the quarterbacks are going to do a great job making the right reads to get the ball into their hands. Now, as far as the wide receivers go, their production I think is probably going to depend on who winds up being the starting quarterback. If it's uh, Xavier Arline, their numbers may improve a little, assuming he sharpened up his passing skills, but I don't know that it'd be a significant increase over the 569 yards they picked up last year, Because as we know, Coach Jasper tends to call games based on the quarterback's strength. And we all know that our line strength is running the ball. Now, if uh, Ty Levite gets a starting job, the odds are Coach Jasper will call more passing plays to take advantage of his arm. Uh, The receivers produced 1,144 yards in 2019. Again, I don't know that they'll get to that number. But they probably don't need to, assuming the quarterback run production winds up being somewhere north of uh, about 700 yards. I'd like to see the receivers get close to 1,000 yards because that means we'd be seeing Michael Cooper and Mark Walker with their hands on the ball a lot more often, and that's always a good thing. So after looking at all this information, I'm going to say that the slot backs are probably going to have the biggest improvement in terms of total yards. Uh, I think Chance Warren is going to have a breakout season. The rest of the slot backs, led by Carlino's AC are capable of putting up another two to 300 yards. So they should easily double their 2020 run production. And if they come anywhere close to matching their receiving yards, It should put them over 1,000 yards, and this would represent a 61% increase overall. So that's my take. Uh, I'm officially on the record. And at the end of the season, we'll look at the numbers again to see how things turned out. Now that brings us to our question of the day for this episode, and it's pretty straightforward. Since you've been following Navy football, who has been your favorite defensive lineman? And let's go ahead and uh, not limit it to the triple option era. I know that tends to be our frame of reference, but it can be even beyond that. Uh, I'm just kind of curious to get your guys' take. I have one in mind, and I'll share that with you on our next episode. Okay, we're going to jump away for a quick break, and when we come back, I'll get you guys caught up on what's been going on with some of our athletes during the first part of the summer. All right, we are back. We are back. And uh, even though the sports seasons are over, that doesn't mean that the mids aren't competing any longer because there's a lot going on this summer, especially it being an Olympic year. And just a couple of days ago, the U.S. under-23 men's and women's national rowing teams announced their athletes will be representing the United States at the World Championships, which will take place in the Czech Republic from July 7th through the 11th. Uh, The selection camps lasted for about a month, and when all was said and done, we had three mids that made the under-23 national team. Uh, The first is Alexandria Valencia-Martinson. She just graduated a month ago, and she'll be part of two crews, actually, Uh, the women's eights with the coxswain and the fours without. For the men, Griffin Dunn and Will Gabe, who are both in the class of 2022, also made the team. Uh, Dunn will be part of the men's eights boat with the coxswain, and he'll row from the sixth seat while Gabe will be in the second seat in the men's fours with Coxon, Both Valencia Martinson and Dunn have international experience. Uh, They were part of the mixed crew that won the King's Cup at the Henley World Regatta a couple years ago in England. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Under-23 World Championships is a premier rowing event, and the U.S. typically does pretty well. Two years ago, they won seven medals, including a silver in the men's eights, and Andrew Knoll, who was in the class of 2019, was part of that crew. So good luck to Alexandria Valencia-Martinson, Griffin Dunn, and Will Gabe, as well as the rest of the U.S. national team as they compete against the best in the world in the um, under-23 World Rowing Championships coming up in the uh, Czech Republic. I don't know if that event is going to be televised, but uh, I'm sure it'll be streaming someplace on the Internet, so I'm going to see if I can find it. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of Navy Sports Central. Thanks to all of you for joining us. Now, if you like what you've heard, be sure to follow us wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to spread the word to all the other Navy fans out there. Remember that you can respond to our question of the day by calling in to 623-282-4896. Again, that's 623-282-4896. And I'll also post the question on our group Facebook page. And just a quick reminder, the views expressed on Navy Sports Central are my own and do not reflect those of the U.S. Naval Academy or Navy Athletics. And by the way, the music used on the Navy Sports Central podcast comes to you courtesy of Audio Jungle. This is a great resource for purchasing the rights to use music from thousands of artists around the world, and those we feature in the podcast will be credited in our show notes. Talk to you soon, everybody. Until next time, this is Carl Darden. Go Navy, beat Army.